Well, everybody said about the bird. Grown men watch this shit. A podcast about indie wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I don't know why I'm doing a uh, Michael Buffer thing right now, but regardless, welcome to Grown Men Watch This Shit. They do, shockingly. Indeed. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey. (laughs) How, uh, how is it going, friend? What's up? Uh, well, right now, as I sit here... Uh, in my studio closet, I uh, am enjoying a nice beverage. And uh, I have an IPA here, a, a red Ooh. IPA. And Ooh. I, boy, red Ooh, IPAs, delicious. red IPAs mm. are where it's at. Indeed, shirtless because it's quite hot where I am, and uh, we're there's all kinds of wildfires out here in the actually mostly based up in Canada, but a lot of Washington. But the smoke is meandered its way down here to the good old area of seattle washington and surrounding areas and it's hazy it's hard to breathe man it's actually deemed unhealthy to go outside and enjoy the air that is hearkening Uh, me back to that last trip over last year for bowler and then when i traveled up to to portland and we had all those fires all over the place last like was it early september kind of time yeah it's standard uh, standard fare that erupt here's the, the wildfires, it stinks, but hey, whatever. So, yeah, we're all dealing with it, coughing, not being able to breathe. I'm worried about my little guys going outside to use the restroom. But, yeah, man, dealing with it, and I'm hot as a mug in a closet with no shirt on, drinking oh, a burger. Man, that sounds terrible. That's a visual, a visual for everybody. <laughs> Just a shirtless, sweaty, sweaty man recording a <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Nice. We're actually uh, quite the opposite down in this Australian neck of the woods. It's a bit on the chilly side. It's coming out of our our sort of winter time, but then it'll get really hot in the afternoons. I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. Um, other than that, I have been on a bit of a Alfred Hitchcock kick of late. Mm, what movie is you have you viewed most recently? Are we speaking of uh, everyone watches the birds? That's pretty cliche. Or Psycho? Uh, have you ventured out to other things like? Uh, is I it, have. Uh, what's it called? Vertigo? One of yes, yeah. So there's yeah. been this cool um, detective uh, series, like sort of a film noir send up type of deal at the the local uh, art cinema that I frequent. It's just a short walk over the bridge from where I live, and. Um, yeah, they've they've had a, a bunch of Alfred Hitchcock movies as part of it. I saw Vertigo uh, the other week, and then last night I saw Rear Window. Have you seen that? Oh, nice. I have I I know the story, but I have never actually I watched it. And Rear Window is actually a euphemism a lot of radio DJs use for uh, anal pleasures. So Ooh. I always found I always find it funny to me- when anyone mentions the weird word Rear Window, I immediately go to that, and it's because I'm incredibly immature. But did yes, Stern invent the- that? Uh, I'm not sure who actually came up with the concept originally, but yeah, Rear Window for butt sex, man. Ooh. Learning yeah. things, learning things <laughs> today. So if you ever like, hey, lady, do you like Rear Window? She may be like, the movie? He's like, no, the act. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really cool. Uh, 
yeah, there. I've always been like a fan of him as a as a filmmaker because he's such a like not a lot of guys uh, almost become a characters outside of their art themselves, and he mm. he certainly has. Uh, and that's always been kind of something I found rather impressive. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've always been a, a big fan of the auteur kind of directors. I guess that at the moment, like one of the only ones we kind of have left is Quentin Tarantino, to where it's just you completely feel a, a vibe very much just that director onto their own thing that you don't get anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I love Wes Anderson. Um, But yeah, I mean, Alfred Hitchcock kind of uh, created that. Um, And and every movie just has its total own uh, vibe that is just indescribably uh, Hitchcockian, I guess. Um, And it's it's just great. The the tone, uh, the the sort of humor and and the, the weird convoluted stories and twists and turns. And the dialogue too, really clever, snappy dialogue for like, um, you know, 50s, early 60s kind of time movies. And a lot of really lewd uh, sexual kind of stuff when you read Between the Lines, which I always enjoy. Indeed, indeed. Uh, there's a show, I don't, I don't know if you ever saw it, but uh, it was on the USA Network called Psych. Did you ever see that? I've heard of it, but I have never watched it. Well, they did an entire episode dedicated to Alfred Hitchcock, where it was shot like every like the kind of shooting he would do. Uh, they are it was like a murder mystery show, so it kind of worked around the, all the different premises of a bunch of his movies, and they incorporated it all into one episode. I'd be curious to see what you think about that if you ever got a chance to see it. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd be keen to give that a watch. Uh, one of the other cool yeah, things yeah. that comes up out of it, especially for Rewindow, <clears throat> because, you know, Simpsons does everything. <laughs> you, you watch so much of this stuff, and you're like, I already saw that in The Simpsons. Um, yeah. But then you go back and watch, you know, what, what inspired that Simpsons send-up, and it's it's kind of cool because it's, it's almost like a familiar story because you already know it based off of the other cultural references to it, but then you're finally watching the actual thing. So, yeah, that was great. But, yeah, so inventive. I I definitely have those events, too, with The Simpsons specifically. Like, they reference so much. You're like, oh, I now get that joke even more now Mm. because I've actually watched the source material. Thank you, Simpsons. Like the first time I actually saw The Shining, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. The Shining? (laughs) The Shining. (laughs) We're not trying to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Yes, good, good. Yeah, so I feel like we we just opened the show every week talking about movies now. So yeah, movies and if you're asking, I like movies. Yeah, yeah, I uh, actually went and saw the most recent uh, Mission Impossible this previous weekend with our mutual friend Zach, or as I call him, Zaza. Zaza. Uh, Yeah, dude, it was fucking great, man. That new Mission Impossible. How they keep doing these impossible impossible missions, I don't know, but they pull it off. But yeah, Tom Cruise is amazing. I've <laughs> heard great things about that. I, I don't know if it was like giving it too much praise, but I heard someone say it was like their favorite one in the entire Mission Impossible canon. I felt myself feeling that way as I was watching it, but like at the same time, like saying, I hesitate to say that because that is such high praise. But yeah, there's there's a strong running for it being the best of the series. Dang, I am not generally that much of a big-time Hollywood action movie blockbuster kind of dude, but I reckon I might give that one a uh, a bit of a watch-ski. I'd like to hear your review. Mm. <laughs> 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 uh, grown men watch this shit. Movies. Yeah, grown men watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. 
Um, so uh, onto that, onto the news. We have Should we get some to what news. Here for? We we oh let's let's jump right to it. What what are we at, right. sir? Well, the the big news, uh, and I think everyone's waited with bated breath on what we want to come up with first is David Arquette. Watch. <laughs> so the world of wrestling is a mysterious place. Friends become enemies. Enemies become friends. And in this scenario, we have two gentlemen that were locked in not only a vicious battle in the ring, but over Twitter, social media. It, it got pretty ridiculous, covered by TMZ. RJ City and David Arquette have decided to mend fences. I'm not what? sure it's a one-time thing or it, it's permanent, but they're mend fences. They're going to be taking on a, a team of, and it's crazy to even say, one James Ellsworth and then the boyfriend of a WWE legend, or <laughs> boyfriend, of <a> WWE, <laughs> boyfriend of a WWE legend's daughter, excuse me. Uh, a, a wrestling super fan, a WWE super fan, hated Dave by the many. Clown? Frank the Clown. Frank the oh, Clown okay. and James Ellsworth <laughs> are going to be taking on RJ City and David Arquette wow. at Warrior Wrestling in Chicago. Wow. What? <laughs> I mean, so, Frank the Clown put out this ridiculous video. I, I, I personally, I'm, I've met Frank and he's a decent enough guy. He didn't have a reason to be a jerk to me, so I guess there's no reason for me to be mad at him. But decent enough guy. He put out this awesome video where he was calling out David Arquette for a match. It's it's so ridiculous and over the top. And then RJ City immediately responded like he was like it was almost like a joke that he had no idea what was going on. He was no part of. But I guess it was all work because now there's a match. Or it may uh, be one of those things where in the world of wrestling, things start out as a shoot and then they become a work. You gotta oh. make that money. Word, word. Uh, my the media part, of, media part of me is like, oh, everyone's working from the beginning. <laughs> it's like that's how I, my brain works. Like, Such oh, they're cynic. working us from the. You're yes, one of yes, these. Yes. One of these Survivor series was a work, guys, right? <laughs> uh, everything is a work, friend. The moon landing <laughs> was a work. <laughs> the assassination of JFK, work. Oh, anyway, yeah, I am. I'm there on that one. We, okay, could, we could go completely down a conspiracy theory loop, but I don't think that we need to do that right now. The, the newest grown men believe this shit. <laughs> so many but potential yeah, dude, shows. Uh, impressive that two men could put such vitriol aside in order to take on, you know, mutual enemies. This and is true. I don't know. There was Frank... quite some bad blood in that feud. I saw some really mean tweets. It, the ribs. He broke his the man's ribs. Mm-hmm. Huh. Actually, no. Didn't so, we work out he broke the ribs in Mexico and then he went into the match? Oh with yeah, fuck that. Let's not get a lie get in the way of a good story. I was about to say that yes. fucker broke his ribs. Damn it. Yes. Jerk. So yeah, that's interesting. Um, so David Arquette continues his his tour of wrestling, and I couldn't be happier. Can I ask you a question? Not only just as a content. I yeah. don't know too much about Frank the Clown, hence me calling him Dave the Clown just before. Um, I know I that he brother. is the... Dave the... It's Frank the Clown Jr., by the way. Oh, okay. Um, so he's the significant... You did not catch that, did you? Bandito Jr., Frank <gasps> the Clown Jr.? Oh, oh okay. of the Bandito Jr. elk? Yes. Is that a callback? Anyway, continue. I apologize. Dave, <laughs> Dave the Clown Jr. So El Hijo del Dave the Clown is... Um... <laughs> 
is uh, the significant other of Noel Foley, right? Correct. Yes, and indeed. Is he uh, like uh, a proper like indie wrestler, or sometimes indie wrestler, or like a celebrity doing indie wrestling, or what? What are we classifying him as in that group of? I things? think he's a uh, a wrestling super fan that probably is over because he is dating Noel Foley and some wrestling, some actual wrestlers probably befriended him and gave him an opportunity to learn some wrestling. And now he's, I guess, working matches. Um, more power to the guy. Good a lot him. of people hate this kid. Yeah. A really? lot of people hate him. Why? Because yeah. one thing that wrestling fans hate is a wrestling fan trying to get himself over as a wrestling fan. Mm. Like, Every wrestling fan that's ever been in the crowds, like, get heat. Like, the, the guys who are in front of ECW, some people love those guys. Some people are like, oh, fucking Green Lantern fan, get the fuck out of here. I find there's a big difference between, like, Green Lantern fan, who is, like, front row ROH fan for all of those shows you've ever seen, versus, like, Hat Guy from ECW. Like, there's no way you could hate Hat Guy, right? Well, he was chill. But, or what, the other guy was, uh, the guy with the beard, he Oh fuck! Faith no more, guy. He looked like the oh uh, yeah. No more. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> the, the, the super fans who try to get themselves actually over. Like there's guys who are noticeable, who are sitting in front row, and you're just like, all right, they're chilling there. They're there all the time. We kind of notice them. But there's mm-hmm. guys like Brock Lesnar like fan, Frank, or Brock Lesnar fan, or yeah, those two guys specifically. That or dude Superman with the fan. long WWE hair. Superman. Tall, skinny dude. He with just kind of chills there, though. Yeah, he, he does really seem pretty chill. Does anything, but yeah, the other two guys are always constantly trying to get on camera and are trying to make themselves characters. And fucking Frank the Clown got so much he's actually dating a WWE superstar's daughter. So, I mean, that's also Whatever. a point of contention amongst wrestling fans. Like anyone that's dating someone that the the wrestling fans deem as as somewhat attractive, desirable. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was at the the Hall of Fame uh, where Mick went in uh, to the Hall of Fame, also Bruno and and Bob Backlund, uh, but Trish Stratus went in. And there was an awesome thing where it was so cringeworthy, but it was awesome at the same time and hilarious in the moment. But you look back at it and you're like, ooh, where when (laughs) Trish was getting in, every time she'd mention her uh, fiancé, I believe it was, let's say Mm -hmm. his name was Mike, the entire MSG just booed vociferously at this poor man of every mention of his name. And you could tell as it went on, yeah, as it went on, Trish was getting like noticeably annoyed at the fact that his fans were just (laughs) booing the shit out of her fiance. So it was, yeah, I think there's a thing where wrestling fans just like to imagine that their um, attractive idols are just forever like, like not with anyone they just got this yeah. virgin purity attainable. about them or something i don't know i don't know what yeah. these dumb expectations are but alas yes so good luck david and rj city especially mending fences to fight a foe together it's mm-hmm. actually pretty beautiful when you think about it yeah and and hopefully those ribs are on the mend uh, how far away is this match do we have a date for it yet Uh, It looks like it'll be occurring on September the 2nd uh, at Warrior Wrestling 2 in the Windy City. Oh, that's coming up soon. That's like within uh, Fortnite, right? Something like that? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't really say Fortnite up here, but I I believe that's two weeks, if my vernacular is correct. It always interests me, these weird little differences. I always, yeah. 
They play a game called Fortnite, but they never talk about two weeks or up here as a Fortnite. Well, have you seen think. Fortnite the game? I, I mean, I hate to digress. I've heard about it, and I've heard people right. being like way enthusiastic about it, but I think I, I stopped being a gamer um, outside of Grand Theft Auto uh, many years ago. So, all right, I have it. two things to mention based on those two things. First, if you play GTA Five, we need to play because I have a shitload of cocaine I need to get rid of, and I need your help. <laughs> Well, I'm always willing to help with that. <laughs> and then secondly, Fortnite is the first game that I ever saw where I'm like, okay, I feel old because I don't get this at all. Give me Halo. I have no interest in this game. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I've seen me. You help me get rid of those coke, man. But, all right. Sweet, sweet. I don't even know all if right. my Xbox has the ability to play online, but if so, tee it up. Okay, sounds good. All right, so next next, um, next topic of uh, discussion, I was um, personally quite interested to bring up the the big ROH New Japan Madison Square Garden show. We we haven't actually mentioned anything about this, but it's like hugely newsworthy. It just sort of fell between the the dates of recording and such. But obviously, uh, you know, ROH and New Japan are running this uh, show at Madison Square Garden on uh, WrestleMania weekend. Uh, but they, they sold that motherfucker out in, like, record time. I think the only other time that Madison Square Garden has been sold out that fast was for that uh, WrestleMania that they had there, uh, like, WrestleMania 20. Um, I think we talked about it when you mentioned, because the pre-sale was, like, at 60% the last time we recorded, and that was yeah. just pre Sale. Yeah, so, yeah, so then they went insane. on to sell the whole thing out, which is just bananas. Um, yeah. Obviously, all the interesting things about how WWE initially tried to block it and they got it cancelled, and then the uh, Sinclair brass came out and, and got the show put back on. And then, with it being such a success, uh, I mean, there's no way that any, I mean, in my book, any of those WWE shows on that um, WrestleMania weekend are going to sell out that fast. Um, it's been a long time since the takeovers have, have sold out uh, as fast. I think the last couple of takeovers haven't even sold out full stop. Um, but it, it really puts a, a pressure on ROH and, and New Japan in terms of, you know, and this was a thing brought up with the success of All In too, of WWE uh, potentially going after a lot of these guys. Uh, we know that the the Fed has a lot of the the money these days with that enormous television uh, contract that they they did a Fucking little while back. Uh, up in the New York territory, brother. Um, wow. But yeah, and then the the stocks obviously going very well, so they could afford to be giving guys a fortune. I mean, I don't know how much they want to fuck up their pay scale because they seem to have always be coming back to that, even when they were doing really well. I remember that was the deal why a lot of the bigger name WCW guys didn't get brought in uh, when WCW went down because they didn't want to fuck up their pay scale to bring in a, a Ric Flair or a Goldberg when they really could have used them. Um, but anyway, I mean, what's going to happen now? I mean, there's so many guys to where they actually haven't been announced for this ROH um, New Japan show because they don't know whether they're going to re-sign. You know, the big big name dudes obviously being uh, Kenny, Cody, and the Young Bucks, to where I think a lot of people maybe bought tickets for these shows with the idea that they'll probably be on it, but I don't know. I mean, do we give them credit for selling these tickets when they haven't even been announced for the show? It's an interesting um, thing. I think a lot of the times expectation can really weigh heavy on what people choose to do with their money. So, yeah, if people assume 
that the Young Bucks are going to be on the show and they're a Young Buck fan, they're probably going to lay their dollar down. And holy shit, man, if the, if the Young Bucks get signed, they've been waiting so long and they were smart enough to do business the way they have. That paycheck is probably going to be huge for those guys if it's true. Yeah, but um, I mean, that's what I mean. To, for the amount of money that it would take to bring guys like the Young Bucks in. Specifically with... them. Like, specifically those two. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Like, I don't think WWE has ever paid the amount of money they would need to pay the Young Bucks in the history of their existence for a tag team. I mean, yep. like, even when they brought the Road Warriors in, which back in the day was probably the biggest tag team signing they've ever had, even since then, um, like, the, the money wouldn't have even been nearly comparable, you know? So, I don't know. It'd be very interesting to see how it goes. Um, but then, outside of that, I mean... It's on ROH to, to, to keep these guys. You know, how much are they wanting to, to spend to try to keep these guys? They've obviously got to offer something that's kind of comparative. I, I mean, I don't think they'd be able to match it, but you think potentially the combination of the ROH deal, the New Japan deal, um, and then the being able to control their merch and, and also control their, their bookings and creative, like that sort of yeah, makes it a bit more creative. Yeah, maybe it's one of those things where stipulation of the contract is freedom to work more places that that could even be something that they offer, you know, like, all right, we want to keep you in uh, here. Uh, we don't want to go to the WWE. So we might le lighten up and let you work other places as well. Who knows? I mean, I can't say for sure, but uh, cause I mean, I think so that's what things. kept them last time. The fact that they could work yeah. new Japan, work ROH and control all of their merch. Like, I think that's what got them on the last contract. So yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll be definitely interesting to see how it goes, but, the other thing is like ROH's approach because there was a, an interesting interview um, that came out on the ROH side a little while back where basically they were asked about, you know, how hard are you going to try to re-sign these guys? Because like you, a lot of people are saying their entire growth, which has been insane over the last couple of years, like they've gone from the biggest show of the year being selling out the Hammerstein, which is like 1,800 people, to their biggest show right. now being like 15,000 people. <laughs> how how crazy is that? And a lot of people are putting yeah. that on, um, you know, that relationship to New Japan. Yeah, well, New Japan and also Cody and the Bucks. Like that, that's yeah. pretty much what people are saying are responsible for it. And also, you know, Kenny has been part of those some of those really big shows as well. So I mean, they they basically put it to to the brass at ROH. You know, how hard are you can play for these guys, and uh, their response was shockingly chill. They were like. Uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but, um, you know, we're going to definitely do a competitive offer and as much as we can. But you know what? If if we can't match it, we, we're not going to match it. And, and things will go on and the ROH brand will continue to grow. And ROH has always been about the new guys. Um, you know, even at, our, at their strength, they um, when they lost Joe, when they lost Punk, when they lost uh, Loki, when they lost American Dragon, you know, Nigel McGuinness, like it, all these times it looked like it was the end of the world and then they've just gone on to become bigger. So, I mean, I think there's something to that as much as a lot of people might not necessarily want to to hear it, um, to where, you know, it, it wasn't any one of those guys' names on a billboard that sold out Madison Square Garden. It was like the uniqueness of running this building and the, the vibe of ROH having the momentum and also the partnership with New Japan. I think they're the most important things. So, 
I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they've sort of undersold how important those guys are to their future growth? Or do you think they're sort of right on the money with thinking, you know, any individual guy isn't all that important in terms of the big picture? Technically, I think it's really a mix of the two. I think they realize how important Cody and the Bucks and Kenny are to the overall product. But at the same time, they can't openly admit that without, you know, just making themselves look weak overall. Like if they said, okay, we're going to try to hold on these guys as much as possible because they are this crucial. It kind of oversells, undersells the entire product in general. And it fucks up their negotiations. Hey. Yeah, yeah, who would who would want to say that? Like, no, we we need these fuckers. But yeah, we're desperate guys. Yeah, yeah, please stay, please stay. But you're right, you're right. The, the ROH has always been about. I mean, there were there were long periods of times where things got stale and it was the same fucking feuds and storylines over and over. But they've always at least been interested in giving new guys opportunities. Like the new pro or the ROH top prospect tournament always peppers in new guys who have gone on to do great things. Yeah, like, I mean, how many big names have won that, that top prospect tournament? I mean, at the time, yeah. you look at it and you're like, I remember when Dijak won it, and everyone's like, who yep. the fuck's this lanky Dijak fuck? And then, yep. like, two years go by, and Dijak's one of the top top named dudes on the indies. Yep. Um, I mean, uh, so, yeah, Josh I, I Briggs, think I think, is the know... most recent one, and I, I could see big things for him as well. But yeah, sorry, continue. He actually is exceptional talent, man. Josh Briggs, or what, is that Josh Briggs or whatever? Yeah. The, yeah. Or no, uh, Josh Woods, Woods. Josh Woods, sorry, that's who I the meant. Woods, Woods, yeah. No, Josh Briggs is another guy too, but uh, yeah. ROH has always been willing to give a great young talent opportunity, and who knows? There's been guys like Adam Page who in the last couple of years has gone from like a pretty bland and boring baby face to mm-hmm. a really awesome versatile character who does yeah. some pretty impressive athletic re- things in the ring. Honestly, so, and we'll talk about this more later uh, when we'll be talking a little bit about the, the G1 show, but um, oh, yeah, yeah. to me, Hangman Page was one of the highlights of this year's G1 Climax tournament, which is like, Dude, I wouldn't have thought that I would have ever said that, you know, I, when he had his feud with BJ Whitmer, uh, a couple years back, me and Farmer, like, well, we got to get this fucking guy on the show because he he laid this promo out that was honestly like one of your better promos for TV that I've seen in a long time. Adam Page, when he was fucking rattling out of BJ Whitmer and like got that guy on. And Matt actually, while he's on the show, broke the news to Page inadvertently that he actually had gotten booked in japan like adam page didn't know farmer apparently already knew and mentioned it to him like as far part of the fucking th- the show Ooh. and he's like what what what's, what's going on so yeah but adam page has been one of those guys where like you knew roh had something in that guy mm-hmm. and they just you know, let it f- happen naturally they didn't force anything yeah and i think the talent there if these guys go away there's guys who are going to step up and take that spot, and ROH can groom those guys. Because I mean, hey, you've got it. a big new signing with a guy like Jeff Cobb. Like, I can't wait to see what Jeff Cobb does in ROH. That guy will be ROH champion. It's yeah, like, unquestionable. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I fucking love the guy, but yeah, he's. It's going to happen. There's no question in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I love me some Jeff Cobb, and I think he's one of the most exciting guys to watch on the indies, and um, I'm personally very happy that he um, signed with ROH because I could see him, him growing uh, a lot, even from as good as we think he is now. I could see, like, a year in ROH, it will be, like, 
completely next level. Do an actual TV time as himself. Uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to take anything away from how much I love the monster Matanza. But, I mean, he's a distant oh. relative of Cobb, right? Something like that? Yeah, the cousins. Cousins. Yeah, yeah. Okay, nice. No one knew that Guam and Mexico were so closely linked, but it's true. Hmm. Hmm. I believe it's the same ocean that connects them. <laughs> don't, don't all the oceans connect? I mean, really, I don't we're, know. All bl- we're all family there. I'm terrible when it comes to geography, so that might even not be the same ocean. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I ain't questioning it. Anyway. So, yeah, but you're back to the original point. Yeah, I, I don't think that ROH has any problem if they lose some key players because somebody will step up. Um, there might be a little bit of downtime, but there's always people waiting in the wings to be huge stars. Like fucking Punishment Martinez is on the cu- the cusp of being something pretty big, in my opinion. Um, lo- there are a lot of guys, a lot of guys. Yeah, and I, I think the they key, don't even the necessarily key... need to keep all of the guys. Like if yeah. if half of those dudes that we just mentioned left, and half of them stay. Like I mean, I could see a dude like Cody. I reckon he's probably staying. I mean, if you keep him and you, you keep, like, maybe uh, one of the other top draws, you, you're okay if the other ones leave. Because, I mean, the same thing happened when, you know, New Japan a couple of years ago when all of the, the big exodus and everyone yes. thought it was the end of the world. But that was really what created the spot for um, Kenny Omega and Naito to become what they've now become, which is, like, two of the biggest draws in the world. Yep, yep. So, yeah. That's just a wrestling business. People fall away and other people step up. Yeah, that's the most exciting thing, seeing the, the next guys that are going to step up. Um, I mean, at the same time, we, we've had another dude. Uh, we, we mentioned it last time. It looked like he was going to the uh, New York Territory, uh, and it has since come out. He was at the TakeOver show. Our bro, uh, Matt Riddle, is no longer on the Indies. Shed a yeah. tear. Well, fantastic for him from the the two years or the year difference between last year's takeover to this one. He went from being a audience member to a front row feature, uh, which is pretty incredible. They actually caught him on camera drinking a beer and with his thumbs up last year. And this year, here he is in his suit front oh, row. I wanted to make mention of that suit. I mean, I love me some Matt Riddle, but I'm not sure that I love me some Matt Riddle wearing a suit. I don't but know. Bro, Is that just me? But bro, I feel you. But he topped it off by wearing fucking flip flops, bro. <laughs> and and bro, he had that, fucking that sandals hat, on, bro. That hat, bro. That hat was still looking pretty damn good. I think as long as you it was the most that. ridiculous outfit ever in the front row. <laughs> Actually, I think Joe wore like a painter's cap when he showed up with the front one time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just a sec. All right, we're we're recording again. We uh, temporarily. Stopped there for a moment, but we're back. Um, anyway, I had a, uh, a email just come through. This is in no way related to wrestling, but I found it very exciting uh, and, and maybe interesting for you and our North American viewers. So we have a little weird um, policy, a government policy in Australia, uh, being a um, part of the Commonwealth and, and the Queen uh, being our... Um, a very important part of our everyday lives. She's not really, but we like to say she is. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, the I don't even know if it's the third or the second, something like that. 
shows just how great a member of the Commonwealth I am and how much I obviously yes. care about this. Um, but so apparently there's this weird um, right that we have as Australian taxpaying citizens where if we um, contact our, our local uh, member of, of parliament, um, we are entitled to a portrait of Her Majesty the Queen. What? Yeah. Yeah, so that's awesome. <laughs> this came out in like this weird viral article from Vice um, uh, a, a while back, and apparently, then these members of parliament have just been inundated by fuckers trying to get a, a portrait of the queen. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> of course, I was going to jump on that bandwagon because I know that yes. I need a, a beautiful portrait of the queen to sit next What's the to. Size? Um, I'm I'm not even sure. I'm I'm still awaiting that. Uh, yeah, also I... it's like a, it's not even an eight by ten. It's like real big. It's like <laughs> like two feet by three feet of the queen. That'd be great. Comes with this like elegant frame. But yeah, I yeah. mean, I know I need something to sit next to my um my signed eight by ten of Dan Seven and my uh, picture that my parents got with Toshiaki Kawada on their last trip to um to Japan. I feel like there'll be a great trio on my wall there with the... And she's all, uh, is that the beast next to me? <laughs> Hello, beast. Hello, beast. That um, magical moustache of uh, Dan Seven. Um, but yeah, I just right now got a, a response from the local um, parliament member. I don't even... Mm-hmm. Local MP, we call them. Federal member of Brisbane. Uh, this is this is live breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, uh, from uh, member Trevor Evans. Um, good afternoon. Thanks for getting in touch with me to request a copy of a portrait of Her Majesty the Queen. I have received a fair number of requests, so apologies for taking a few days to get back to you. Can I please confirm that you are a member of my constituency in the seat of Brisbane? <laughs> Can you please confirm for me your enrolled address by return email? Kind regards, Trevor. So it seems like I am well on my jolly way to getting my portrait of the Queen that I am entitled to as a damn uh, Australian taxpayer. I'm very excited. The name, the name Trevor, has always been one I found hard to take seriously. It's like a name that comes off as very juvenile, Trevor, like Trevor, uh, immature, Mister Trevor. But yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I just heard an ad recently where you can purchase a gold coin of our president, Donald Trump, guaranteed to increase in value. Um, but I doubt I'll pick that up. Well, I mean, it couldn't um, get any worse in value, could it, than right now? I mean, I don't I know. Anything so. could happen. I imagine so. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I don't think I'd be picking that one up either, frankly. Well, understood. <laughs> All right, so uh, aside from the run-in from a Mr. Trevor Evans, um, <laughs> I'm so happy about this. I'm way too happy about this. Um, he requests for it to be autographed is the real thing. Yeah, yeah, I need to get this sent out to the Queen. Or maybe like some paw prints of her corgis. Have you seen those dogs that the Queen has? Adorable. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, awesome, awesome. All right, next topic. What was the next thing we had, sir? Uh, I do. The last thing we wanted to speak about before we move on was an actual show that both you and I watched that recently took place in the city of New York. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, one Joey Janela put on the Queen specifically. In, yes, Lost in New York uh, pay per view mm-hmm. with the good company Game Changer Wrestling, which actually turned out to be one of the funnest shows I've seen in recent history. Dude, I enjoyed the shit out of this show, and I I'm loving me some Game Changer Wrestling lately. Um, you know, I don't think it necessarily gets uh, all of the attention that it deserves. It's definitely a lot more topical these days with the success of uh, Joey Janela's Spring Break that we've uh, talked about at length in prior episodes. But um, I I think it's so much fun. I mean, as uh, it may not be like the best top-notch wrestling that you're going to see, but it's fun, wacky shit. Um, and I, I read a, a really fun uh, description of... Uh, of Game Changer Wrestling um, online a little while ago. I thought I'd share this with you because I enjoyed it so much. Uh, Please. This person referred to uh, GCW as uh, like East Coast version of PWG, um, but with a bit more death matches, uh, botches, and meth. <laughs> <laughs> the capper is great. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, man, I... If you're going into a GCW show expecting New Japan wrestling level work rate, get the fuck out of the building because you're going to be severely disappointed. But if you're going to have a good time and enjoy wrestling at its finest where these guys are doing insane things and they're huge, gigantic characters of ridiculous Just wacky as fuck matches that you never thought you would ever see in your life. Pairings. It's more akin, like, anybody who's been to Spring Break uh, the last few years knows the kind of matches that Joey Janela likes to throw together. And Mm -hmm. more of the same here on this show. Yeah, so great. Um, I mean, the other thing, even, like, if you're not necessarily expecting the the best wrestling on these shows, sometimes they'll just surprise the shit out of you, and you'll be like, that was actually fantastic. So, I mean, I love it. Just the whole vibe of it's really fun. Um, and especially like this show in particular, because it was uh, basically like a, a live pay per view. It was originally streamed on the the Fight TV um, this uh, past Saturday, and um, it was like they the the version that they posted up on on Smartmark was just the entire live feed from start to finish, which was great because it kind of really captured the the, the live vibe of the show you know one of the things that i don't so much like about the pwg releases is that they're so heavily like they they edit out the entrances and it's just like all right bell to bell that that's pretty much all you get whereas on this show mm-hmm. you got like the complete feeling of, of almost being there for the whole event um from from like larry legend the announce, ring announcer i love me some larry legend i think personally he's the best ring announcer going today uh, he got me so excited about all these matches. He even got me really excited about the the food that they were serving there on the the night <laughs> <laughs> at this awesome Queens venue. They had uh, hoagies, strombolis, and uh, some <laughs> big fat Italian sausage. Um, I was I was very excited about all of these things, and and quite sad that I couldn't go upstairs to the balcony and order some of this food. Uh, the drinks sounded pretty good as well. Uh, to the the, the um, commentary um, by I believe it was Danny Havoc. It got mixed up. Danny Havoc, uh, Kevin Gill was up there for a period of time. Hot I, sauce, um, Tracy Williams. Kevin Gill, uh, super nice guy. 
such a nice guy. He was, he's delightful. <laughs> You're about to marry a motherfucker. <laughs> delightful in person. You know, I had a great time hanging out with old KG at um, that uh, Wally Mania after party. Um, but his commentary, um, maybe not so much. Uh, I can say that his matches maybe made me really look forward to the matches that had commentary that weren't going to be featuring Kevin Gill. To put it nicely. For sure. I, 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 I do enjoy a KG, and I, I have enjoyed him on commentary at times, but I, it, it can be a bit distracting because it, it's he gets almost kind of cliche heavy, but hey, I I am I love cliche, so who who people might not like that type of commentary. Um but I personally I found Danny Haffick kind of like felt like he the whole time he was underwhelmed. Like nothing really got him excited about the entire show. He's kind of talking about it. Did you get that feeling at all? I kind of like that because in my mind, you know, Danny Havoc is announcing every one of these GCW shows. So, like, you know, from the deathmatch stuff to all of the crazy wackiness, he has really seen it all. And he just Fair. sounds like a guy that has seen everything. And it's like, oh, yes, and here is a man that is running on fire through this building <laughs> into yeah. a pool of thumbtacks. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's not tag KG in this commentary. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one tag KG on Twitter. Damn it! <laughs> no, no. Um, um, we love honestly, you, KG. We love you, KG. Yeah, yeah, the show was fucking awesome, dude. Like uh, my personal favorite of, I've always enjoyed him, but Orange Cassidy is probably oh, one of the man. most unique wrestlers in the world. How um, fun is his shtick? <laughs> it's, it's great because. The best thing about it, it's kind of like Silent Bob from Jay and Silent Bob. Like, he never speaks, but when he does, Mm -hmm. it's impressive. So when Orange Cassidy hardly does shit uh, the entire match, so when he actually does and he, like, does that springboard moonsault twist to the outside, (laughs) it's like, holy shit, he did that? Yeah, so um, he was in the – this was actually a funny thing in and of itself and exactly why I love Game Changer Wrestling. They were in the, um, the, the Golden Ring ladder match. No, the brass ring. You have to you have to climb the ladder to retrieve the the brass ring to make your mm-hmm. your hopes and dreams come true. Um, and it was the the actual the the reward or the prize was whoever got it got to choose their match at Spring Break Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which uh, I'm I'm quite excited about. But yeah, that was actually great. Um, I loved. Orange Cassidy's thing that he took onto it was like a table that was sitting on the top rope, and can't even remember what the spot was. But he ended up taking this sick looking move onto the table, and then he just kind of like proceeded to lay and chill on the table for the next like eight minutes of the match because that's yeah, what he does. <laughs> he did the laziest Canadian destroyer you ever seen in your life, and it was fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> really was. And um, another guy, props, props to, shout out to the, the different boy, Jimmy Lloyd. I really am starting to enjoy Jimmy Lloyd. He's always been a fixture of all of the Joey Janela spring break shows. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really starting to pick up what he's putting down. Yeah, I, 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 on Twitter, of course, uh, sometimes Emil J will show some of the CZW uh like house show stuff where the, all the guys who are training are doing their shit, the dojo shows. Mm-hmm. And I watched Jimmy come up through the dojo and I like, 
seeing this guy who's just kind of a chubby, poorly guy with scraggly hair and not the best complexion. And I'm like, well, that guy is not going to be anything special in wrestling. And boy, was I wrong. He, he reminds me of Sally, Sammy Callahan, mm-hmm. uh, like early Sammy Callahan. Uh, so it's, it's like a, a new version of that. And I'm really impressed because I kind of see him as like, like a hybrid between like a early Sammy Callahan slash like Mikey Whipwreck. Like if he's trying to yeah. just jam both of those dudes together, um, that makes sense. how about I mean, it his entrance? Make sense, but it works. Oh yeah, his mom. <laughs> so his entrance is just like his mom berating him, and then he hits her with a light tube, and then she continues to berate him. <laughs> and then it's like some weird like punk rock techno rocks. I don't know what the hell, but yeah, it's uh, probably one of the more interesting uh, entrance songs or entrance videos you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. And this was a beautiful venue. That that nice um, uh, entrance screen set up with all the TVs, and it just looked nice. Uh, it's a lot of um, shows are looking like they're taking place there. Is it? Uh, what's the name of this venue? I want to say Webster Hall, but I know it's not Webster Hall. Yeah, some people. I forget, but uh, some. I when I was tweeting about or live tweeting the show, some people mentioned they were actually in attendance during. The, uh, the show and the building itself, while it is a little bit smaller, the way they kind of have set it up is a maximize. They definitely maximize the area, and you wouldn't believe with the ladder match that we're talking about the stuff that they were able to pull off in such a small area, a small square footage of area. Because really, like the cameras hardly moved. It was kind of fixated or static a lot of times, just on a very small area. Uh, but yeah, pretty impressive with all the shit they were able to pull off with this ladder match. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm sure um, Melrose Ballroom. Melrose Ballroom. Uh, Melrose Ballroom. And um, they've got, uh, they had the, the big MLW show there a little while back. And um, seems like we've got uh, some other shows coming up there in the near future as well. So it seems like the new hotspot in New York, new cool venue, Melrose Ballroom. I'd love to go there sometime. I hear you, man. At, uh, I need to make it over to New York, and I think the. First time that's going to happen. It's probably, despite my best interest of avoiding it altogether, is going to WrestleMania again. I, I didn't want to, but it's starting to sound more and more fun as the time goes on. Man, I'm the same. I think it'll be so unrealistic for me to be able to do that. In addition to this trip coming up for Bowler, and then I've got uh, my buddy John's wedding in June. And then was potentially going to have a trip to Japan between those two things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I just need to Busy win man. the win the um the lotto. Is that what you call it over there? The lotto, the tats. Yeah, lotto? the lottery. Lottery. Yeah, yeah. I don't mm. even enter that, so I think I'm far away from winning it. Anyway, uh, back to the commentary. I wanted to make a special shout out to again uh, Danny Havoc and and uh, his rotating um, commentators. Uh, I think we had. Um, okay, I can't remember. I'm not even going to try to. Uh, but there, it was all great. There was one, a uh, couple of highlights that I wanted to make mention of. Um, during uh, Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson's match, which I really enjoyed, uh, Dickinson and Teddy Hart, really mm-hmm. fun. Um, they made a, a fun mention of, of Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson, not being a guy that you want to spend a night with at the bus depot. <laughs> which... <laughs> To me, it was so there's a, there's a story there. There's so a story descriptive, there. yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I, I brought me back to a, like some some real life memories of uh, American bus bus depots. You know, um, I on my last trip, 
I think I was coming back from San Antonio to get to Austin and we had like a bit of a, a, a extended time. We had to wait in this bus depot and some of these bus depots are scary enough places, you know, already before you add in, uh, uh, you know, some unsavory characters. But to me, there was one guy there that really just scared the fucking shit out of me. Um, it was a, a dude that just looked real rugged and, and gruff and scary but then he proceeded to spend the entire time that we were there at the bus depot riding around the bus depot on like a little kid's trike, like this indoor. Oh my God. Yeah. And he just silently go around and around this bus depot on this trike. I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna Holy just... shit. It was so fucking scary, man. If that guy like, it's one of those things where um, this guy, uh, he has to know he is fucking with everybody's head by doing this. Mm-hmm. That is so freaky. Yep. Everyone else was sort of like glancing at one another, like making eye contact. Like, <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> that that brought me back straight to that moment. And then I was just imagining uh, Dirty Daddy being the dude that was riding that trike around the, the bus depot. And that made it maybe even scarier. Um, One thing I did did speaking of Dirty Daddy, I don't. I saw Chris down in New Orleans, and he he was in pretty good shape. He looked like he's like putting on a a little bit of a gut. I don't know if he's like trying to add a bit more dad bod to this Dirty Daddy gimmick, um, <laughs> <laughs> but he looked like he's kind of chubby. And I I think it'd be awesome if like there was a guy who was like definitely fit, but he let his gut get a little bit big, so maybe people are less intimidated by him, but still was fucking ripped as hell, like the actual dad bod badass, that'd be fucking dope. <laughs> dad bod like, badass. We... Yeah, like fucking Tank Abbott, man. <laughs> like some guy's <laughs> got a big ass gut, but you wouldn't fuck with him in a million years. <laughs> Chris Dickinson. He like called him the putrid papa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had all these, um, these sweet extended intro Something lines. Filthy father. Yeah, so Dirty yeah. Daddy, the filthy father, the putrid <laughs> papa. So good. Yeah I, yeah, I love Larry. He's fucking great. As soon as you said dad bod badass, I was like, who is that? There is a bad dad bod badass already in wrestling. And sir, <laughs> I believe you are forgetting about everyone's favorite mean asshole dad of professional wrestling, Silas Young. Oh, but he doesn't have the gut. Kevin Owens is a dad bod badass. That's He's true. Like a tough fucker with a bad dad bod. The baddest dad in the world. Yeah, I uh, I love me some Chris Dickinson. And uh, I don't know, maybe he was just on like a, a bulk or a dirty bulk or something. Because every time I see oh, him, I'm like, that dude is, is in mad shape. Cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no, modern, yeah. He doesn't look kind of jiggly. Modern day Bass Rutten, in my opinion. Like, I'm the last person to talk about anybody's gut being jiggly. But hey, <laughs> Guys, we could smell our own. Man, if, if wrestling the last couple of weeks has taught us anything, is that we should do more in the way of, of body shaming Lifting people. people up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the exact opposite. I thought we were going to lift people up. But body shaming, okay. <laughs> I love how you turned up to say the exact opposite thing I thought you were going to say. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> people need to be tighter. They need to be, you know, more fit. What am I talking about? <laughs> That whole thing with Dave was so fucking ridiculous. Oh, and the, the most ridiculous part of it, I don't know if we need to explain a little bit, was I think Dave got caught off saying, seeming like he was saying something that he didn't quite mean about a Peyton Royce 
um, yeah. about her uh, maybe not necessarily needing the, the boob job that she has recently had in, in terms of general attractiveness. Obviously, there's a, quite a, a dichotomy there of, uh, you know, ma- males um, saying things about uh, females' bodies that is maybe not too welcome in the current day and age and political climate in which we live. Um, but uh, Dave's choice of words were about she, she was better when she was lighter. I think Dave was trying to be a bit clever in, in not overtly saying about her, she was better when her boobs were not as enormous. Um, however, people seem to have taken that in thinking that Dave is complaining about her weight, <laughs> which he was not. But, yeah, it was um, quite a, a thing, and, and Dave got in a little bit of trouble. But uh, he issued a very nice apology. Um, yeah, I mean, which was fucking the apology was good, and then people like trying to trying to even act tear like that down. Apology wasn't wasn't enough, and he's like, "No, I'm I'm." It just falls up. No, I get it. I'm I am certainly sorry. You guys all have a valid point. I fucked up. I'll try to be better. That's hmm. all he kept saying. If you're like, "Oh, that seems like a cop out." A cop out to flat out apologize. Get the fuck out of here. Especially a lot of these people. I, I get it. You work for the WWE, you're going to tow the company line, you're going to support your coworker. But these are the same people that did not raise a fucking stink when all of their female coworkers were not allowed to work a show in Saudi Arabia simply based on their general or their their gender and then their company took home a huge paycheck for doing so. So it really kind of shows where your political beliefs lie when it comes to uh maybe towing a company line. Mm. Yeah, it's a weird thing, and and it's like the the way that it goes is it's like almost the the feeling that a lot of these people, if if they're not getting Dave's blood or like you know burning him on a cross or something, they're not going to be happy either way. So I don't know. It's a it's a weird time that we live in. Um, Seth Rollins said negative six stars, Dave. Oh, well, Seth. Oh, got him, Seth. Jumping on the bandwagon. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, um, in, in closing up about this show, um, I also wanted to give props to the amazing main event that we got with um, our man, uh, PCO, with uh, one of Matt Riddle's last matches on the indies. I thought this was match- everything that this match should have been, it was, and it was then some. I enjoyed everything about it. Please tell me your thoughts. But it- I agree 100%. That is, to me, what wrestling is all about. Two people who don't necessarily mash up style-wise in a match to see how these styles clash. And it's the characters between these two, like two of the biggest characters in the world. And then Destro throwing himself into the mix in the, in the mix in, toward the end of the match. Um, oh, man. Wow. What how a great moment. That? Uh, I mean, yeah. from uh, PCO's new music that was like this old, Frankenstein's monster, like fifties B grade movie music. I love the shit out of that. Uh, he's got mm-hmm. this new uh, gear that's almost like a Mad Max type of vibe. Um, and then yeah, uh, the the peak of the match where it looks like um, PCO is actually dead from when he took a, a sick uh, German suplex from the top rope, and he landed pretty gnarly as well. He didn't take one of those like clean. Um, just, you know, moonsault bumps. He, like, really took that. It looked like on the, the shoulder or neck, that kind of, it was like, ooh. Um, but then the the music hits, and who comes out 
none other than uh, saddest trainer extraordinaire Destro. And I was <laughs> so happy to see him. And of course he had his um his battery electricity clamps in tow. What I was worried about was like when we, when he was doing that, like what if motherfucker inadvertently actually electrocuted himself? Like in the as he's doing a fucking run in during a wrestling show, dude fucking drops dead from <laughs> getting electrocuted. Like there was an opportunity for that to happen. That is, there was a small chance, but it could have happened. Glad it didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Imagine people go to a wrestling show. Oh shit, dude did a run in uh, with a car battery, electrocuted himself, and died. Yep. <laughs> that wouldn't the risk have been we take the for Yeah, I mean the the live uh, live situation you know, with the live stream and everything as well. That, that uh, oh, wouldn't God, have been ideal. Been great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of morbid, but it's like the most legendary thing to ever happen on iPay pay per view. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, yeah, but no, I, yeah, I, I love. Right, I said it. I love this match. Uh, he uh, Destro zaps PCO back to life because, as we know, he is not human. And uh, <laughs> PCO went on to get the incredible victory, and and what a great moment it was! Perfect, tremendous, tremendous show. And we didn't really talk about it, but fucking Hakushi being on the show. Oh, dude! Um, like another good part was all the fucking during the intermission they. Uh, spliced in all these old classic commercials oh, from America. I wanted to make shout out so to that. Fun. I watched it. You know, I we we didn't watch it live. We watched it on a bit of a delay. But I watched that whole intermission without fast forwarding a single thing because I loved those old '90s commercials that they just played all the way through. We got like a a subway commercial. I think was my my highlight of all of them. Yeah. A bunch of good shit. And then uh, my, my girlfriend was sitting there watching it with us. She's like, I am seriously more entertained by these commercials than a lot of the wrestling <laughs> matches we watch. I'm like, I know, it's so weird because she's uh, quite a bit younger than me. So she's like, these commercials she probably barely remembers. They're they're vivid in my imagination because I remember seeing all these fucks. But yeah, what, what a great thing for them to do. And then they also spliced in like pieces of um, like promos, like little exits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So interesting. Like the uh, one that's where John um, Carlo coming up with all that. Oh yeah, dude's a genius. Um, and like the bit where where Joey was wrestling some sort of match in an outdoor thing, and he went to like jump off of these like um, portable uh, toilet yeah, stalls, potties. and yeah. he's like walking across them, and the roofs are like caving in as he's walking across them to like do the dive. And in one of the porta potties was none other than Jake the Snake Roberts, and then he's like. <laughs> Cuts a promo on him so afterwards. Good. Yeah, so good. So great. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, the commercials were great for me, like, as an Australian. Obviously, I didn't get to see this stuff growing up, but it's like, I, I just love that kind of uh, retro nostalgia. There's something about 90s American commercials that is a, a magic that um, us Australians never quite got. So I, I loved it. Um, another the tombstone pizza one, dude. The tombstone oh. pizza one is so classic. It's like, what do you want on your tombstones? Pepperoni and cheese. Pepperoni <laughs> and cheese. <laughs> it's so good. I need to just spend a full night watching old American commercials. I, I did go it's... through pretty much all of the Jack in a Box ones a little while oh, ago. Yeah. They're so good. Uh... If you ever want to get real weird, all the Skittles commercials are fucking out of the out of their mind. Like, a majority of them make no fucking sense, but you're left like, 
what the fuck just happened? But you're, you're definitely laughing. Nice. So good. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to make a special mention in that, that ladder match that we were referring to, the, the brass ring one. Uh, there was mm. a moment where one of the ladders that they used had a very clear sticker that said property of Walmart. Yes. <laughs> There was a Walmart chant that broke out. Did you yeah, that? yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. I appreciated yeah. that. <laughs> uh, what a honestly, the the six guys that were in that match is what what a strange group of dudes too. Like Eli Everfly, uh, what a actually. I heard recently he fucking walked out on the show because he did, it was like an intergender match and he didn't want any part of it. So he oh. like was talking shit and they fucking got pissed and kicked him the fuck out. That's weird. Yeah, I last watched um, Eli Everfly on the the first um, PWG show at the new venue. The um, time is a flat circle. It was like a, a oh, local... he got booked there. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was like a local guy's four way, um, kind of mm-hmm. like the the best of that um, sort of West Coast indie scene. All sort of their, sure. their chance to, to to show what they got. Um, had Brody King in it as well. He was the the winner of the match. Um, the other dudes, I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, but yeah, other you know, real standouts from that scene. But um, Eli Everfly is a tiny man, and I never thought there would be another guy on the show that makes um, Eli Everfly look big, but there was. Did you see Marco's match? Yeah, Marco Stunt, I guess. What, I don't know what his fucking, is that what they say his gimmick last name is? But yeah, what that, that was the best fan interaction in a match ever this was nuts so it was um uh who did who did the call out oh fuck i forget that guy's name i've seen him on a couple of the shows for them oh Uh, he's he's a k he's a name ktb or something like that Yeah, ktb i always think of kgb and then it's yeah ktb i think we got it right um could good save there but yeah, he did this call out to like anyone in the building, and then yeah, this this dude from the front row just puts his hand up as like four foot kid, and then the the kid comes out and ends up working the match. Obviously, you know he's a been wrestling around the scene a little bit, um, but it was perfect. And uh, as, from being so excited on that, next thing we hear, he's been announced for this uh, over budget battle royal for All In. <laughs> <laughs> so great like instantly he went from a nobody character to so over to now on one of the biggest shows of the year pretty tremendous i really hope wrestling my friend i i really hoped that he had just gone back and sat in his seat in the audience but he did go to the back but had he just after the match went back and sat down to watch the rest of the show <laughs> i would have lost my shit that would have been wonderful yes. anyway there's always ways that uh you know if uh like Doing the um, what do people call it? Backseat booking. Hindsight is twenty twenty, my friend. That's true. They say that mm-hmm. hindsight is twenty twenty. The final shout out to one of my favorite lines in the commentary of the whole show. I can't remember that which match this particularly was, nor who it was referring to. But I just wanted to give props to the term general cuntiness. <laughs> 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 Uh, that is a behavior we have all seen people <laughs> behave in. So yes, oh, you're not being a real dick. You're just kind of this is a general cuntiness about you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah, so good. If I had to guess, I'd think it'd be like Chris Dickinson because he seems like a real general cuntiness kind of a fellow. But, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a good one. 
Anyway, that's us being I'm doing the battle with general cuntiness. Yeah. I uh, follow you everywhere you go, general cuntiness. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, All right, that will close our, our coverage of uh, GCW, Joey Janela's Lost in New York. Oh, sorry. Props to um, Jinsei Shinzaki looking fucking amazing at like, what was he, late 40s, early 50s against uh, against Joey Janela. This was like the best Jinsei Shinzaki match I've seen since like the one with Bret Hart. It was awesome. He did so good. I I was a huge fan. My, I kind of had to explain to Alicia who uh, Hakushi or Jinsei was, but... Yeah, I, I the whole thing when he came out wearing the all the all the gimmick, uh, fucking looking cool as hell. Didn't have the tattoo, sadly, but it's all right. It's a lot you of know, work. Can't have everything. It's a lot of work to oh. put all those tattoos on. I don't know how you he did it was, back in the day. I always felt like maybe it was like a one sheet thing, like they just kind of put on him. I mean, I'd hope so, but I mean, how yeah. would you actually do that? This is um, like a ta- like a tattoo. One of those tattoo stencil things, but I assume they're in like strips. No strips yeah, may have been the way to there go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was cool as hell, and it was awesome to see him on the show. And shout out to Joey for making all of these like insane fantasy. Like as a wrestler, you'd be like, "Well, hell yeah, I want to wrestle Gra- Glacier and fucking Hakushi and uh, fucking what was it last year at Spring Break." Uh, da, 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 why uh, great Sasuke. Yeah, Sasuke. Yeah. So like, I would pick and choose the most amazing opponents, and Joey is getting that opportunity, and fucking good on him, man. Yeah. Hakushi, what? How cool? Hakushi took a a bad ass looking Death Valley driver from Joey as well. Looked like he fucking <laughs> killed him on that one. And yeah, uh, he's a big dude. Yeah, but uh, yeah, dude is still in mad shape. And I mean, I, I watch a bit of Michinoku Pro from time to time, which is the company that um, Jinsei Shinzaki is still affiliated with. And I even saw um, Shinzaki in person on my last trip to Sendai. And it's safe to say he calls his spots. Uh, you know, he doesn't do everything. He, he does his big things and that's about it. But fucking hell, this was different to that. Um, after seeing him like for the last decade and a half of just kind of not phoning it in, but you know, wrestling like a, a man going into his early fifties, probably in all rights should be wrestling, um, to just going out all stops in this craziness. I, I thought it was so good and it was, it was way more than I was expecting from, um, from Jin Shinzaki. So great yeah, job to go looking at, guys. Looking over and seeing Hey, there's my old stomping buddy PCO from the WF days being a fucking crazy old man. I can't let this guy be the only one being a maniac. So he yeah, went remotivated. Force. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, as always, shout outs to the amazing talent of Giancarlo um, for the the hype video for this match. Holy oh, yeah. shit. That How was so good was that? Cool. I love the chair bit when he slides the chair underneath the table and they fucking fuck <laughs> themselves up. Like it's just like slapsticky goofiness, but awesome. <laughs> yeah, and where he like tips the table over and oh, it was great. It was like a send up of uh, yeah every great Kurt Russell action movie um, mixed with yeah kung fu bits and oh, amazing. But the the, the I love the, bad boy. <laughs> I love that we can look into this deeper. From the fact that his this is the the you know a lower level boss in Shinzaki, but we know there's going to be a top level boss coming. 
you know, like all of our favorite uh, Street Fighter or, or Mortal Kombat games. We've got we've got a top boss that we don't know who it is yet. You would assume it's someone Japanese because that's how it's been going, right? You'd think so. And I'm like, who could who, it be? Who could it be? I mean, like, could could Dick Togo maybe? I'd love to see Dick Togo. <laughs> but is um, he is he the step above fucking? uh hakushi like is he i know dick togo is a big star but he it, would he be the level above that mm. yeah i mean it's a interesting one i mean both sort of big stars of um michinoku pro actually i mean i would think that sasuke is sort of a level above both of them but we've already had sasuke yeah. so sure. i mean what do we the, the the one that's in the back of my <laughs> mind that's like this can't happen because he's retired chono i was gonna say onita we get Onita oh. coming out of retirement for one last big uh, American retirement match against Joey Janela. That could be pretty interesting. Like, Isn't exploding Onita, like, cage match. Like a, I thought Joey said he was done with deathmatch stuff, though. I, well, you'd have to make an exception if you're getting to wrestle Onita, right? <laughs> well, yeah, that's why, that's why I found it such a strange to have Onita be in, in the uh, possible pick. But, fuck, I mean... Wrestling, never say never. So even if you are retired from Deathmatch, doesn't mean it can possibly happen. Fuck it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to to stay tuned to see what uh, what will be next on the horizon for Joey Janela's ridiculous matches. I mean, yeah. well, the next on the horizon. Do you see what they announced for his match in Asbury Park coming up next month? I probably did, but I probably it's escaped me now. Go. He's wrestling it. Psychosis in his original gear. And they made mention that they would be forcing him to come out to his old WCW entrance music. <laughs> <What the hell? laughs> I thought Nicho's knees were all fucked up and he can't, like, Nicho the millionaire. Yeah. I thought he can't fuck his knees are all jacked up. Yeah, he is pretty jacked up. I mean, he's, he's doing better now than he was pre-knee surgery. So if there was ever... I mean, at the same time, there's no ways that his... Um, his knees and ankles are more fucked up than Marty Jannetty and we saw yeah. Joey work miracles with uh, Marty Jannetty on the, the first spring break so I don't know yeah. I, I'm not necessarily gonna make any um, any uh, advance opinions on talking this one down yet I'm just gonna see, fair, fair. Yeah, see what happens excuse me my apologies yeah psychosis dude uh, you know me, I fucking love WCW, so any luchador that was ever in WCW, I'm a big fan of, and I would love to see that guillotine leg drop again. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of scared, though, because anytime I see those dudes, those guillotine leg drops are, like, just terrible for any wrestler Marley. that does them. I just think of their, their back, their, um, their lower lumbar region and, and lower spine. and That hip, the fucking oh. uh, tailbone. Yeah, I'm... I'm hurting right now just thinking of it so that's why i'm glad fandango kind of retired that i know randomly talking about fandango but that was his big spot for i haven't seen him doing it in a while so i hope that is retired no one needs to be doing that unless you're already fucked up do it one more time for a big match a big payday but Mm. no one should make that their fucking spot pretty timely with um the talks of matt hardy's retirement going at the moment and him saying that that um you know, leg drop yep. was a big part yep. of that for him for doing that for so long. So everybody stop doing guillotine leg drops. I mean, even fucking yeah. Hogan, like he wasn't doing it off the top rope and he's had all sorts of issues just from doing the, the running leg drops. So 
fuck me. Yeah, you, you, that seems like a lo- real low impact one that Hogan's doing, but still, he sometimes there were those times where he jumped pretty fucking high up and tried to drop it. So, mm. yeah, guys, save the body, save the body. Yikes! But anyway, I'm I'm way invested and excited in the next uh, next step of uh, whoever Joey Janela is is working in. Who the big boss the is going to be? The juice, <laughs> the juice, the juice, the juice, and Joey Janela, the juice. They're going to wrestle. Oh, can <laughs> we can we just this, get man. can we just get Conan on to do a sweet um, impression and, and talk about the weird sherbet ice cream blowjobs that that Hoovy is gonna yeah. give? You sign up for MFW right now. You get a a <laughs> orange sherbet hand job from the juice. Uh, <laughs> Disco Inferno will lick your butt. <laughs> that was the worst Conan impression ever, but you get it. I think it was a pretty good Conan doing an impression of the juice by proxy. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. All I right, don't, cool, cool. I don't know how many um, people we'll have on our podcast that necessarily get that reference. I feel like yeah, it's quite niche. Because we're MLW and like you're talking about original MLW podcast days where mm-hmm. a guy is doing a reference about a reference and an impression of an impression. That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's not matter at all. No. <laughs> All right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel like it is time uh, to get to the meat and potatoes of this. We actually hadn't mentioned it earlier, um, but uh, we are Courtney's about... like, what? The meat and potatoes <laughs> is now coming? Yep, yep. We've had our starters. We've had our starters, and now we're, we're ready to go um, to have a, a chat with none other uh, than fellow um, social suplex uh, podcast platform member, uh, the the voice behind Keeping It Strong Style, uh, none other than young boy Josh Smith, and we're going to have a lovely little chat about um, the just madness of, of trying to watch the uh, G1 as a whole. I, I don't know how I did it, I don't know how they did it, uh, but uh, let's let's have a chat about it. Alright, here we go, let's, let's see how this thing works. I'll try to get him on just a sec. You can edit out the Kevin Gill parts too, so we don't have to get, get any heat from Kevin. <laughs> uh, I think we weren't too mean, and I frankly don't think yeah, that yeah. Kevin Gill's going to be listening to our show. He likes to be. He might listen to me if he found that we're talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> don't tag him. Nobody tag him. Yeah. We're, they're going to now. What's up, guys? Hey. Hey, man. What's going on? <laughs> Sorry on. For, for the lateness of this, dude. Sometimes we get a little bit um, sidetracked in, in doing the, the things on the, the early part of the show, as you probably know yourself from our um, general distractedness. <laughs> we got chatty. We got chatty. I'm back. Did you guys uh, did you guys count the number of uh, video games, or was it VHSs this week, or what was it? <laughs> Chris didn't have to pee, so we, we didn't do either. Uh, there's yeah. no male ladies. No, we did have a run-in from the Queen. That was the thing. Yeah, he, Chris that? got an email. He's pretty excited. He will be receiving, due to his uh, citizenship in Brisbane, uh, what, what was a, a portrait in 8x10 of the Queen? Yeah, a portrait of the Queen. Apparently we're entitled to as Australian taxpayers. So I <laughs> got in touch with my local um, member of, of Parliament to um, make sure that I, I get this free portrait to put up in my wall uh, next to Dan Seven. The guy had the totally 
<laughs> Chris simply like, all right, we got to vet this. We got to make sure you are a eligible citizen. <laughs> are you one of my constituents? Really? Mm. <laughs> For, forgive my ignorance. Is there a queen in Australia or is it the Queen of England? Yeah, they're ruled by the Queen of England, man. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah, all part right. of the Commonwealth. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That, that explains the flag. I'm uh, not great with the whole European history stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, I don't think many people are. We're apparently just a, a group of um, of degenerates that were shipped out of England off to our own colony to just... Dirty Australian. Yeah. So we're just <laughs> made up of, of degenerates and low lives and people that steal bread. Really, but what's really mm. great about it? Mix all those people together for enough generations, they become Crocodile Dundee. Hundred mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> percent. Just kidding, Chris. Sorry. Oh, we are very proud of Crocodile Dundee. Damn it! No, <laughs> as you should be. It's like Americans in Hulk Hogan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this makes air. Please keep this on the show. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> Anytime there's a, a down period where we say I'm going to edit it out, I know I do. Um, but anyway, let's let's get back to it. I'll I'll do a little bit of a, a intro for Josh. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we uh, we have our, our latest guest of the show, uh, fellow social suplex podcaster of the the famed. Uh, keeping it strong style podcast we've got the young boy josh smith what's going on man what's going on guys can oh, you hear me okay sir. yeah you sound yeah. great yeah oh, that's very smooth I, I don't have all the uh the professional equipment that we usually have for the show so uh i hope i'm coming through okay for you guys so people maybe be hearing a little bit different josh smith to what they're used to interesting yeah and more raw <laughs> Well, well, definitely unfettered and uncut because I don't have a my I don't have Jeremy to hold me back anymore. I can go full heel. Oh, watch out! <laughs> Shit. But um, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we we wanted to get Josh on uh, to discuss something that's not necessarily our wheelhouse. You know, we don't do the New Japan show. That's that's what Josh does. However, I mean, I somehow braved it through the in, insane experience of, of watching the um, entire G1 this year. Uh, I know that uh, my my friend here, Mr. Vanderbeek, has, has also watched some of the matches too. And, and But you, uh, Josh, like, I have no idea how, how you guys, <laughs> like, made it through this entire thing. Because you watched all of the tag matches too, right? Like, please no, tell me not, about this experience. Everything. Oh, it was like I thought you watched all non-tournament matches too. Mm. Like these guys are fucking maniacs. We we did watch a good portion of it. So me saying like no, we didn't. It's not like I. It's not like we only watched one night of that or something. I'd say probably about half of them. Yeah, I kind of cherry picked them. I kind of just went like the tag matches with the guys that I find interesting. I I watched those all ones that I heard good things about. You know, a lot of um. Uh, Jay White's tag match stuff with the sort of weird stuff that was going on with, with chaos was was kind of fun to see. Yeah, his uh his entire story arc through the tag uh, matches was actually some of the most compelling stuff on the undercard. Uh, that that's something if if someone's like, oh, what should I check out? I'd probably recommend checking that out just for the storyline in general. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that and the and the uh, the God stuff, uh, not super interesting, but you can tell they're heating them up for uh, t- either a title challenge, which we're finding out now. There is going to be a title challenge in uh, you know, in September. Yeah, Long uh, Beach, right? Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they went they they went undefeated the entire you know tour. I think it was like nineteen wins, twenty wins, or something like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. um honestly like. The only matches that I skipped through the whole like actual tournament matches were purely uh, bad luck Farley and Tama matches. I mean, I don't mean uh, to hate, but uh, I I just can't do it, man. It's it's just it was such a turn off for me. I watched some of them, like the the big kind of ones, and and every time I was like, I feel like I've been punished for actually watching this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I don't blame you at all. I think. Uh, we watched those matches, me and Jeremy, just out of a sense of duty. Yeah, I could <laughs> for, see that for for our listeners. But uh, I mean, hey, we should I, clarify just in case somebody doesn't listen to the other shows. There are two Jeremys right. in this story. There's me and his co-host. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we 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 have the good Jeremy on this show. Whoa, uh, whoa! <laughs> All right, I gotta go, guys. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. But uh, yeah, no. Um, what were we just talking about? About the, the tongues. Oh, yeah. Well, we ended up giving our grades at the uh, a few weeks ago when we reviewed the G1. I think I gave Folly an F overall and uh, Tama D. So, I mean, you know, I wouldn't recommend hardly any, anything that they did, honestly. I mean, it's weird because Farley, like in previous G1s, he's sort of had some stuff that surprises you. Like where you have a motivated right. bad like Farley, it's like – Shit, this dude's actually like a, a a good, you know, big man um, worker when he wants to be. And then there's other moments where you can tell he's not motivated and all the shenanigans and everything. But I like I remember like that last match that he had with Yuji Nagata last year. Like that was some awesome shit. Yeah, that was good. The match with Tanahashi in the G1 last year was very good too. You know, it was the gimmick like, this year that constantly had the hit the guys interfering in each other's matches, like just disrupt, like wholly totally disrupting the tournament. Yeah, I mean, pretty much they just had, uh, you know, all the, uh, like, if it was Fale's match, then you, you were definitely against the Tangaloa, Tamatanga, and vice versa. And they were just going to either try to interfere and help him win the match or just get the DQ to protect him. Or sometimes they just get DQ'd for no reason. Like, it, it really didn't make any sense. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought it was definitely a low point of the tournament just in general. Mm. That's not I mean, like typically a New Japan style of like they don't normally do that kind of like schmozzy shit, do they? Uh, like, I, I I watch the good key matches. They do every year, but oh, okay, they do. I didn't realize. Yeah, that. it's like kind of a, it's do, a weird thing, right? Because they they do a lot of your schmoz kind of stuff when they just want to get heat on certain dudes. A lot of the time, you know, the gaijins where they'll um they'll just do schmoz bullshit kind of stuff because it's like you know mm-hmm. easy heat or whatever and then you have other like feature stuff like you know your big time okada or tanahashi matches where you know they they wouldn't do that kind of shit in those kind of matches so it's like a weird line but i mean more so than any other japanese wrestling product really to me new japan kind of is known for that sort of more americanized um you know interference and, and dirty kind of stuff at least at the moment yeah, i think I saw complaints yeah. of people about that, but like they're starting to uh, on like on Twitter, like saying this get way like Gato's making it way too Americanized with all the you know, you know silliness, all the bullshit. But I, 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 that's not that's a fair that's a fair statement. But I think okay. some of the uh, 
the complaints. Honestly, I think it's just because this product's getting hotter and there's more eyes on it than there was before. And so there's new fans. Mm. And so they're going off of the fact that they cherry-picked all these years and they didn't watch all these Road 2 shows when the Bullet Club and Prince Devitt were doing this all the time or mm. Minoru Suzuki and, and you know, Suzuki Goon. Like, they're not they, – I think it is a lot just the reputation of New Japan versus the reality because if you're consistent about it, this stuff's been going on for a long time. Yeah, uh, I think like there's definitely fans. something to that, like to your your fair weather kind of fans, who um, mm-hmm. you know, and they they sort of approach New Japan like this lofty, foreign, pure right. thing. It's like, oh, it's Japanese wrestling; it has to be this. And and like, in all honesty, <laughs> that's more of what like a pro wrestling Noah is, or like a '90s All Japan is. But that's definitely not what New Japan in in this current era. Modern is. dance. Yeah, so I think it's just maybe but, yeah a lack of um of of knowing the actual product really. Now, I think some of the, the big outcry about the storyline with Fale and God and the firing squad is that it occurred during the G1. And so, yes, while we've seen stuff like this happen, mm. it's never been in the G1. The G one's always been this like untouched sort of like sacred thing. You know, it's like, it's the G one. We take it seriously. And then when you see two guys just screw around the, the whole time and like literally just get DQ'd and it's not really even their fault. It's Gato's booking. Yeah. I, I don't know where it's going. Honestly, I, I, as someone who covers this, you know, year round, I don't really know. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of disappointing, honestly. Yeah. Hopefully it does lead to something good. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. Cause I mean, to me like that, um, Cal Palace show and the, the finish of that, where like the Tongans really, really made their big mark. Yeah. I mean, I popped like fucking crazy for Meng doing all those pile drivers to dudes. That was great. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but, I actually saw Ming uh, at yeah? a indie show a few weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, how's he doing? Uh, yeah, good. He uh, he was supposed to be the main event, and then uh, he figured out he didn't want a main event, so he went on third, and then he got out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Calling his spots. <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah, we uh, we just reviewed the the Joey Janela spring break. Uh, not spring break. Joey Janela lost in New York show uh, earlier in the show, um, where yeah, Meng was meant to have a, a significant um, part in that, but he unfortunately couldn't make the show due to the untimely passing of um, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Right. Um, but That's yeah, boot match was good though. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, it's funny, like when Sabu just like pulls it out. And he's like, this is the exact same Sabu from late 90s ECW, mid-2000 indies. He hasn't changed much at all. Yeah. Except he's got a genie now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, what what were your guys' thoughts on the G1 from what you guys, you know, gathered and seen? Um, Literally what, everything what of the G1 I watched all today before the show. I watched a total of three <laughs> matches uh, and... Honestly, the, the the last one I watched, Kenny and Ishii was fuck one of the. I had my roommate watch it, and he was popping because he doesn't watch a lot of New Japan. The whole time he's like popping at everything, like how, yeah. like literally such strong style. But then Goto and Ishii. I watched a lot of Ishii because I love Ishii. Ishii and Goto, fuck oh, Chris, yeah. you're a fuck. That is the the clothesline spots at the beginning where they're just <laughs> slamming to each other like. You fucking guys, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, so good, man. Tremendous. I love that match in particular because um, 
Like, I, I just love that kind of wrestling, you know, that real physical, oh, yeah. gruff, fucking fuck each other up kind of wrestling. Uh, like, you know, yeah. harkening back to your, your never title matches with, like, Togi Makabe and Godo, like that kind of stuff. Um, but, I mean, to me, that match was so great because it was dude, two dudes beating the fuck out of each other, but at the same time not doing stuff that was, like, dangerous to the point of looking like they're really shortening their careers which we got in a lot of the other b-block stuff you know like the yeah. the high profile abushi matches or like some of those kenny omega matches where they're just doing some spots where you're just like why the fuck are you doing that the, uh, we don't need to see that for abushi our entertainment match was insane yeah yeah i i love that match that was so good that's, um, what, that's what i was gonna watch next Honestly, the the finals like that slap spot toward the end, like where they're oh, just slapping. Oh, that so intense. has to be the best the best slap spot I've ever seen ever. Because like they were knocking their uh, dude. I, I watch way too much New Japan. And I'm all ramped up. <laughs> <laughs> it gets that way. You're talking about Tanahashi and Ibushi. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The, yeah, the, the finals. Final, dude, yeah. Dude, I, I got emotional when that happened. I'm not me even too. gonna lie. Like I like I literally like started getting like chills because I love Tanahashi. And yeah. like there's very few matches that make me feel like that. Like uh Flair Invader from Starcade ninety three always gets me for some weird reason. And that yeah. match the, watching that live, I was like like I was starting to believe in the ace again. I was like, Oh my god, Tanahashi's mm-hmm. still here. He can do this thing. Yeah, I was sitting down, I'm like, oh man, I have to fucking stand up to enjoy this. But yeah. Watching, especially watching my my buddy uh, Justin watch this stuff, who's a kind of a novice to New Japan. Like, he can't. Be- when you're watching WWE, and then you go and see these two guys really slapping the shit out of each other for a solid minute, like that had to be yeah. a long, right? <laughs> it was a long time. I yeah, mean, it, it's interesting to look at the, a match like that where it can be enjoyed on so many different levels. Because I mean, I'm I'm probably the same as you, Josh. Where like I was so invested in that. Um, Tanahashi comeback kind of story like even going back to that match with Okada like you had the match with Okada on the the prior Budokan Hall match which was amazing but even the match that they had prior to that in like um was it Fukuoka um where yeah. they were wrestling for the the record of the most title defenses so if Okada won he would beat Tanahashi's record um and just the storytelling in that like I feel like Tana is at like a level above everyone else in terms of just like telling an amazing story. It's almost like, I think you guys were saying on your show about like a comparison between him and HBK. Um, Like I can totally see that. Um, And and I honestly enjoy current Tanahashi more so than um, like Tanahashi from, from, you know, back in his, his prime, you know, like your 2010, 2008 to 2012 kind of era. Um, Mm. He's just so great, and he's so good at um, bringing out emotions and, and just telling a, a proper story through it. And just the story and emotion that he got out of this match with Ibushi just blew my mind. Like, I honestly, going into this tournament, I, was, I originally thought, oh, they're of course going to either have Naito or Okada or, or maybe a Tanahashi win, but, you know, no one else. Um, and then the way that Tanahashi won it, I was just like, fuck. I didn't necessarily yeah. want that to start with, but I know I want that now. I I didn't think for a minute that Tanahashi would be 
a realistic candidate to win. I thought he would def because he's, you know, he's Tanahashi. I figured he'd be, you know, one of those guys towards the end who was in the running. But I mean, I never actually predicted like he was going to be the winner. And then as the tournament started progressing and I started looking at it, I realized like probably three weeks ahead, like, like two to three weeks before the finals, I was like, Oh my God, they're going Tanahashi. (laughs) (laughs) Cause just the way that it started looking, I I think the, the main thing for me was just that, um, historically speaking, Gato doesn't really like to book main events in the Tokyo dome that have occurred in the prior year. Hmm. If you just look at his track record, he doesn't do it. And Omega was in that B block with everybody that he probably could headline the Tokyo dome with. And then you look at the guys in the A block that could have won Jay white. He wrestled this year, Okada. He wrestled this year and the one protected match, assuming Kenny will be the champion, but the one protected match is him and Tanahashi. And I was like, Oh my God, that's going to be the main event of wrestle kingdom. It's real. And it, yeah. It was it's like so this, weirdly this fresh. Hey. Like if so many matches that have just been done to death, this is one that's like, it, it feels really fresh right now. And I'm like really up yeah. for it. I mean, especially stylistically because of at this point we've kind of gotten to a certain type of Kenny Omega match with a lot yes. of V triggers, a lot of like what, you know, or like some... seven in that one run with him yep. and fucking Ishii. Like what, that was crazy. <laughs> or like seven or eight in that one series. That was pretty nuts. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, it's, it's awesome for what it is, but at the same time, in, in some ways overseeing a lot of these type of Omega matches, you, they start to, to not be as exciting as they used to be, I guess. Um, but to but me, also Kenny, like to be the top guy, really, like he has to take down the ace, you know, like, like even as somebody yeah. who is not necessarily watching New Japan as consistently as you guys, I could see that story from a mile away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like really interesting that that stylistic thing of, um, Omega working a Tanahashi match. So just seeing that really big time emotion story match, which I know Kenny's great at, um, more so than necessarily, you know, you kind of video game style wrestling. Like I'm actually really up for that match of of Kenny and and Tanahashi and whether that's the completion of the Tanahashi redemption story or whether it's the passing of the torch to Kenny Omega. If you know, he sticks around, who knows? Right. I'm a gigantic Kenny Omega fan and there's so many things I think for my money, he's the most, he's the greatest entertainer as a pro wrestler that's out there. Mm. That being said, there are, he's getting a lot of criticism just like anybody who wins the IWGP title does in the beginning, you know, so it's not necessarily all deserved. It's just, that's the, that's the price you pay when you're the champion. Mm. Um, and you're in the early part of your reign. It's trendy to kind of do that for whatever reason. But here's the thing with, with him and Tanahashi, there's so many guys that Kenny's worked with. And like you said, he has this one style of match and he's kind of gotten into a habit of doing. There's very few guys that can teach Kenny something at this point. Tanahashi's one of those guys. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, it's kind of like he, one of those things like slow down, kid, because Kenny does not. And Tanahashi yeah. will probably set that, you know, that really pro wrestling pace that's not nonstop every fucking second. And we've all, yeah, Kenny is so versatile. It, it, it should work, but it's interesting to actually see him have to fit that mold, whereas normally he's just, I'm going out to be the fucking show stealer every single night. Do you know what I think it is? I think it's the fact that 
in terms of physicality and athleticism, there's almost no one that can touch Kenny. <laughs> but mm. when it comes to storytelling, Kenny tries really hard to have these beautiful moments in his matches. And sometimes they come off okay. But a lot of times they come off as overacting, just way, way, way over the top, unbelievable overacting. And it's hard to get invested in that. Whereas with Tanahashi, for whatever reason, he just has that. And so he might not be what he was five years ago, but anytime he wants to turn that on and draw you in, he can on a level that right now Kenny can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think... I honestly, the Tanahashi, as we all talked about the redemption story, has been really interesting because honestly, I thought he was eclipsed by Okada. Like, I thought yeah. that was what had happened. He like, was. That was it, the story. It, it yeah. Literally was. Yeah. So interesting that they actually have followed through with the redemption story because a lot of times they'll go partially there where like the guy tries but fails mm -hmm. this time they're actually almost i mean wrestle kingdom even if he doesn't win i mean i feel like he almost pretty much redeemed himself right yeah and i mean that's well, new japan to a t like in terms of he they... has to win to be the full redemption well i don't know because going back in new japan booking like they seem to i mean gato seems to really not be one for nostalgia runs like not on that right. top level like he would never book like uh even though i, I would have loved it like you know like uh, a minori suzuki uh iwgp title run or like a yuji nagata iwgp yeah. title run i would no. love to see those but you know that gator would never book it um so it's like sort of looking at as tana gets older um when is he gonna start to be you know, more becoming like a, a Yuji Nagata type pushed guy. Um, but, I mean, it, it seems like he's, he's still pushing him to that top level. And, and if this is sort of the redemption story now, I'm, I'm all for it. It's really interesting I stuff. Think, I think the interesting thing with, with Tanahashi's run through the G1 and his, you know, redemption story is basically this. He didn't face all those killers in the B block. Like, mm. literally, the, the A block was designed around giving Sanahashi a sense or, like, a false sense of accomplishment. It was, like, the right place at the right time. Taking nothing away from the win, he benefited from favorable booking because he was in the lesser of the uh, the two blocks. And then when he ended up going up against Kotobushi, who is world class, but in the pecking order of New Japan, is not on the same level as the top like four guys you know what i yeah. mean yeah like that outsider so thing right and so it created a scenario where tanahashi could feasibly win whereas if you put tanahashi in the finals against like say omega i don't know if he's winning that you know he even the guys that he did beat like suzuki he struggled with okada even though he you know, i love that suzuki put, match by the way i do too i do too but i think the thing with with tanahashi is like all of a sudden, he's feeling himself again. He thinks he's the ace. Hmm. But I think that the whole the whole entire design and booking of this is that he really isn't. He really did benefit to an extent from favorable booking. And now he really does have to prove himself by defending this briefcase. Yeah, that Okada match. Omega. I mean, I thought, to your point on that, it was almost exactly um, that that story going into the match with Okada where Tana just had to get the draw, whereas Okada needed the win. Um, and you saw that, that Tanahashi, while almost getting a bit of a visual win towards the end, he wasn't able to, to beat Okada. 
Um, and, and he hasn't beaten Okada in a long time. And he has to beat Okada in this upcoming um, briefcase defense, um, which to me, that's going to be a much more decisive thing if you know he gets the win or whether Okada um, flips it and is the first guy that, that wins the, the briefcase and uh, goes on to, to take that Tokyo Dome main event. Yeah. What was it? Wrestle Kingdom 9 was the last time he beat Okada? I think so. Yeah, it's been, been quite a while. I think that was the last time. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. So, it'd be either way. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally could not think of anything worse. I mean, as, as great as Okada is, I really don't want to see another Okada Tokyo Dome main event. But I don't know. That might just be me. I don't think that's going to happen this year, but I'm counting on it for next year, most likely. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Um, all right. I mean, so now we're done with the G1. <laughs> you know, it's been a, a heck of a ride. Um, right. It's, I, I sort of just wanted to talk to you quick about like the, the feeling of going through all of these matches and the, the feeling of, it's almost like a stress of when you start to get a few days behind <laughs> and you have to like catch back up and then you're like, Oh, I'm a couple days behind and now I've caught back up on one or two shows, but now there's been another four shows, and so now I'm six shows behind. How the hell did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's a stressful thing, but, but I mean, now we're done with it. And I don't know, just tell me how you're feeling now, like how you felt going through it, and now the, the, right. the sense of, it's almost like a peacefulness to me that, that we're, we've gotten to the other side of this this crazy juggernaut of a tournament. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, for sure. I've never watched the entire G1 before, even though I've I followed New Japan extensively for years. I've always just cherry-picked it. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's a, my experience is a little different because I have to cover it weekly. Yeah. So I, even when I did fall behind – now, when I did fall behind, it became more hectic because it's like, okay, you fell a couple days behind, but you're recording on Monday, so you have to catch all of them up at the same time. Oh, man. And you, <laughs> and you, have, you have no choice. But how do you do that and you still get, like, watch it in a way to where you can, like, look at it in a proper critical way and you can appreciate the match as much as you should to do it justice when you're talking about it? Like, that's the part that I can't get. You hope you're good, man. Like, you just hope you're good and that you don't suck at podcasting. I mean, (laughs) um, (laughs) because I can have terrible takes, you know, and – I mean, that's luckily people like our show, which I'm always like honored and blessed that that's the case. Um, but I mean, you you just try your best because I mean, it's a hundred matches in a few weeks, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, in a in a sense, though, it's nice that you know I have that cutoff date of like, okay, by this Monday you have to have watched these shows, otherwise you can't record. So, you know, yeah. it, it it made me stay on track. But there were times where there were certain a block you know, cards were out. It, it was a struggle. Mm. Um, I also would use outside resources though. I mean, like, you know, it's not like I'm just sitting here forming all my own opinions. I'll take a look at what the consensus was. And generally speaking, my opinions tend to, you know, agree with the majority, hopefully um, guys that I think are like fair and pretty critical. And if, it, if, if I was like way, way off, then I'd be like, maybe I wasn't paying attention to that match. I'll go back and I'll rewatch it if I need to, you know, Mm. yeah it's um it's an interesting thing because there were definitely some matches where i was just in the midst of trying to crazily catch up to where i'm like that was an 
awesome match, but I didn't even think I really enjoyed it that much. And that's almost like I was, I was saying to a friend, it's like the the steak for dinner every night of the week syndrome. Like yeah. we're watching so much good shit that like you start to not appreciate how good it is just because of the bombardment. Yeah. I mean, what yeah, was, I mean, oh, sorry, go on. One thing I noticed this year, it was different from like last year that a lot of the nights were less consistently good. Um, the high end stuff was very, very high. And I, I mean, I think Dave Meltzer gave more five stars out in this tournament than any before that. Yeah, for real. But at the, but at the same time, I remember like two or three years ago where it was like four star matches all night for several, like for like a, a week straight. Mm-hmm. That never happened on this tour. You know, there'd be like during a B block, maybe like two really, really high end matches and then a lot of average matches. Yeah. So it was kind of different from like previous G1s. Like last year's G1, super high caliber wrestling the whole the whole time, whereas this one had a lot of two-star, three-star affairs, stuff that was kind of for- forgettable. Mm. Um, so it was like highs and lows along the way. Yeah. It was still a great tournament, but I wouldn't – personally as a fan, I wouldn't have categorized this as the best G1 or anything like that, which I think some newer fans are starting to do that already. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I almost agree, like, there were higher highs and lower lows this year yeah. than, like, any as a, a combination type of thing. Um, I mean, I don't know. You, you look back at it, and then you look back, and you try to remember some of those previous years' G1s and, like, the best stuff out of that, and you're like, oh, it's it's such a tough thing trying to compare this stuff. But, right. I mean, I I loved it. I'm, I'm really happy I watched it. Um, I always enjoy it. And uh, most of all, I'm really happy that it's over. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was happy with the trajectory that it went and the the way that the finals played out. I thought it was booked excellently. A lot of a lot of very interesting things. I mean, it was a there, it was a great tournament. There's a lot of things I could talk about, like the Yano storyline, the Juice Robinson storyline. Mm-hmm. There, you know, it it was a really well done tournament this year. Shout um, out to I'm the way that it- they spread out. The, the really good matches like the way that if you if yeah. you look through it those real top caliber matches were just perfectly sprinkled through so you didn't have any like really long periods of just like stuff you have to get through it's like you'd be watching two or three shows and somewhere in that two or three shows there's going to be a just badass match so yeah that it was really well I- laid out in that way to me I liked that. Another thing I liked was in the in the past, there's always been a lot of parody with the way they booked it. So mm. going into the final nights, you have four, five, six guys that might be in the runnings, and they're all pretty similar. This year, they didn't do that. They booked it much more similar to like those All Japan Champions carnivals from back in the day, where mm-hmm. it was like the two or three guys. Yeah, like in the sour or your Kobashi, and then you have exactly your next year. And then you had guys like like juice was out in like four or five nights and that was it. And you're like, wow, he's already out. <laughs> but I mean, he still and, progressed uh, on from last year. He had a better showing this year than he did last year, which is part of his overall story. I think. Oh, absolutely. I'm not criticizing him in specifically, but what yeah. I mean is like, instead of having all these guys be very similar and trade wins and be 50, 50, yeah. they made the top guys, like the top guys going towards the end and they eliminated like half the field real quick which is something that they've they haven't done that with g1s hardly ever Mm. 
Yeah, I remember it got to a point and it was just like suddenly, all right, so Kevin Kelly's saying, all right, this guy's mathematically disqualified. This guy's mathematically disqualified. And it's just yeah. like, whoa, all over the place. So I thought that, yeah, agreed. It's so easy to do parody booking with this kind of stuff when you, you know, it's so tricky. You even try to think about the mathematical way that you, that they have to put this together to get such a great tournament. And it's just insane. But overall, I think they did a, an amazing job. Um, in terms of MVPs, I, I listened to your last show, uh, is, is your MVP of the entire thing? I know how hard it was for you, as I can imagine it is for, for many of us, but are you still on that, that, uh, same pony there, Josh? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, it, it really comes down to whether you're team Ibushi or team Ishii, um, and I mean, I, I'm so torn on it. I could easily go Ishii and I wouldn't even bat an eye at that. But for me, I, I do have to go Ibushi just because, and I think he benefits from being in the B block finals and, and then the, you know, having what was in my opinion, the best match of the entire tournament with Tanahashi in the finals. Yeah. Um, he, he just barely slightly edges out Ishii who mm-hmm. might've still had the more hell- hellacious like, schedule of matches during the tournament um but yeah for me the, the mvp of the tournament is ibushi but it's like 1a and 1b basically yeah yeah i mean to me it's ishi all the way i mean i thought ibushi was amazing <laughs> and i definitely agree with you it's like one or the other it's it's like so tough um but i wouldn't Absolutely. fault anyone for going either way i mean uh what do you what do you think mr Vanderbeek? Uh, of the three matches I watched, yeah. two of them were Ishii's. So <laughs> I think I think you guys know where I'm going. Because honestly, the Kenny and Ishii match was one of the best matches I've ever seen, and I did watch the finals. Like the finals was tremendous, but I just, especially Ishii getting the victory, where it looked like it was almost like definitely Kenny was going to get his victory back. You know what I mean? Mm, uh, right. Yeah, it just fucking tremendous. And that and was the, a pivotal we, we spoke point about it earlier. That was like a pivotal point in the, the, the tournament in, in Kenny taking that loss. And that, that really yeah. set up a lot of the stuff that went on. Um, but sorry, with, Without continue. that loss, he would, have, uh, he would have won the tournament without that loss. Mm. Yeah, I just, um, like I said, I've watched Justin and watching somebody who doesn't watch New Japan typically, like, pop. And that's a wrestling fan, pop to all the shit that's going on. Like, he's like, holy shit. Oh, my God. Fucking, uh, they both are so, like, they're putting each other over so hard. Like, <laughs> dude, <laughs> especially in the series with, like, eight V-triggers, too. And Ishii still was fucking coming back. That was tremendous. And then winning. I mean, I was blown away. I, I actually, no chance in hell in my mind that he, because I didn't want to spoil any finishes for myself. So I didn't look good. I did not think he was going to win. And he pulled it out. Stone Pitbull, fucking A. Yeah, yeah, so good. I, I love Mizumi Ishii. I've loved Ishii for a long time. Um, so yeah, you sort of have that that special place in your heart for the 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 pit bull to just pull it out time to time. You know, I'd, I'd love if one day we we got um, Ishii winning the big one again with the Gato booking. I, I don't think it's something that we would necessarily see. But at the same time, like I remember when Nakanishi beat uh, Tanahashi for the IWGP heavyweight title for like the greatest feel-good moment uh, win, you know, one of the greatest in, in all of uh, New Japan history. So uh, yeah. it could happen. Who knows? Yeah, I um, I think that was like, what was that still under Inoki at that time though? 
No, I think it was that weird between time between the Enochism era and the early Gato era, like maybe the Simon Enoki era. Um, gotcha. This was like around 2008, I want to say. Seven. 2007 feels more right, yeah. Something, something like that. Um, you know, they did just come out with the cards for uh, Destruction, and the first Destruction big card, I think it's in Hiroshima, it's going to be Kenny and Ishii for the title. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen that uh, a bunch of times before with, uh, I remember Ishii beat Kenny in their match in um, that the, the first USA Cup. show. Is that it? Oh, and the new USA no. Cup. I mean, the, the New Japan Cup. It was the New Japan Cup last year when he beat him. Yeah. And he he eliminated Kenny the first night that he came back after he took that like long break following Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. And then they went to the finals of the USA um, Intercontinental, no, but the, the USA title tournament that they had. Right. And uh, Kenny won that one. But yeah, good history. And I'm... Um, I'd love for for Ishii to to win, but I have a feeling that we're probably headed towards Omega and Tanahashi at the Tokyo Dome, and I'd be totally okay with that. I think that'd be awesome. I, th- I think the main thing here is with Ishii getting this kind of prominent run in a G1, which he's never really had before. It leads me to believe that he'll be doing something significant going into uh, Wrestle Kingdom this year. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, could you see really... him getting to like a Intercontinental title run level? It's still like such a long shot. I would love it. I mean, I would really love it. But I mean, they draw with that title, mm. like generally speaking. And I just don't know if the company is behind uh, Ishii on that level. Mm. But we're getting we're getting to a new place where like the fans are starting to see it you know more and more and the the company's starting to get behind it so possibly it's not out of the realm of possibility at this point which i don't know 2 years ago you might not have said that about Ishii yeah i mean always the underdog always the guy that uh, you you think is going to just come close to the mark but never actually win it but he's he's been doing it from time to time so if Who he knows? won the IC title, I would I would just freak out. <laughs> He's so good, but I mean it's weird. Like the IC title's on ice now with uh, with Jericho, so it's almost like the first time that the IC title hasn't had a prominent place on a New Japan card, going back to before Nakamura won it. Like going back to did, the did you guys hear that he uh, he pitched an idea to Vince to to uh, do IC title versus IC title at SummerSlam? I did. Yeah. I saw that. I'm like, yeah, that was probably like, hey, I had this idea. What is it? Uh, blah, 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 blah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently got shot down how. pretty fast. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how true it is, but he said Vince like was receptive to it and then just never called him back. And I was like, how would that even happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like money, pal. Uh, I'll call you back. <laughs> that sounds like a Vince McMahon blow off to me. I've, I've heard that a bunch though from uh, those New York stories because Batista had the same thing about him wanting to do the um, the, the Triple H program. I remember Batista mentioned this in an interview uh, where they were going to maybe do him and, and Triple H going into this past year's Mania, and then at one point they just didn't return any more of his calls. 
So I don't know. They go they ghosted him like it like uh you know, you went out on a bad Tinder date and then you get ghosted. <laughs> Can't even yeah, give I, you the courtesy. They, they didn't even jump on the bandwagon with the original Guardians. Maybe they're like they realize they fucked up with the original Guardians, so if they actually try to pull them in now, that it's like admitting that they fucked up the last time, so they're not gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> they they are those kind of people, you know what I mean? The McMahons are like, ah, we can't admit a mistake, pal. It's like freaking ridiculous. <laughs> we can't let them know that we want them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Who's eating? Uh, anyway. What are you doing over there? Yeah, what's going on? Someone eating? Are you guys talking about me? <laughs> Somebody's making noise. Somebody fell down or died or something. I don't yeah. Know. Is everyone okay here? Yeah. We're here. All right. Cool. Hell All right. Bump, kid. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, to me, that that was sort of it. Um, I'm, I'm happy. That was a, a nice chat. Um, sort of encompassing our final thoughts on the G1. Um, and also just a little bit about, you know, as a, as like a fan trying to watch this motherfucker, like just the reality of, of some of those moments, but also the payoff, awesome. the payoff of, of watching the whole thing. It was um, quite good. So thanks everybody for that. And I, I think it's time for us to close this mother down. So, um, <laughs> plug your shit. Me, my yeah, friend, what do you got? You know what? Like while you guys were starting to wind it down, I, I realized that I needed to plug stuff and, um, I never do that on the show, and I don't really run our social media, so I started panicking. I was like, "All right, what what are we on? What kind of social media platforms do we have?" But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, obviously, uh, our show drops every single Tuesday. It's uh, keeping a strong style. It's part of the uh, Social Suplex Podcasting Network. Um, you can find us on Twitter um, at k at yeah, it's at ki strong style. Um, you can join our wrestling group online, the Wrestling Squared Circle on Facebook, um, on Reddit. I'm keeping it strong style, and my co-host Jeremy is the pro black guy. I think I did a pretty good job on that, right? <laughs> nice. Nailed it. Well done. It. Well done, sir. And uh, and thank you guys for having me on the show. You know, um, it it's uh, you know, midnight our time. I'm sure it's in the middle of the day where you're at, Chris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, we're I'm actually going to be um you know, in Chicago here in what is that 2 weeks for all in. Dude. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. So, so I'll be there for that and I'll uh be there for uh the AAW shows as well, so you know, I'll keep you guys in the loop. Maybe we could awesome. uh, do some do something in the future. Hopefully I'll be more energetic and alive than I was for uh <laughs> you know, for this this evening. <laughs> You're fine. Yeah, I think you did uh, pretty pretty well, all things considered, man. Um, yeah, thank you so much for, for staying up so late. Um, we uh, appreciate it. Um, and yeah, real, real fun to, to talk to you about this stuff, man. I mean, you know uh, how much I'm fucking obsessive about this Japanese wrestling shtick. So um, yeah, man, I'd love to, to do another something like this in the, in the near future. Yeah. An all-in coverage would be good. I, th- I think that's a, a smart plan. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, please keep an eye out for our boy Marcos in the Battle Royal. Oh, okay. Who Did is you that? hear about this? <laughs> no. There was a dude that oh. was on the uh, the Joey Janela Lost in New York show. Um, oh, Marcos like, Stunt. 
Yeah, yeah. He's there like this go. four and a half foot kid who can just do some amazing <laughs> shit. So <laughs> we're yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jeremy Donovan was really, really putting him over hard to me. And I was like, I didn't know who he was. So I was like, all right, great. You know, I'm glad you know who he is. So I'll have to check that out. He said, uh, yeah, he said the same thing. He said he's amazing. So. Yeah, I mean, maybe a bit rough around the edges. I don't. I think he's still pretty green in the overall um, scheme of things, but uh, he can do mm. some really fun stuff. And uh, yeah, just in terms of the the brief amount of him that we saw on that uh, Joey Janela show, um, he was he was fun as shit. From nobody to over in less than a match. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. Um. All right, man. So yeah, thank you so much, and and. Big props you to, to you guys' show. Um, I, I listen to it as much as I can, and I, I listened to that that last um, sort of wrap-up one that you did on the, the G1. Uh, great stuff, man. Always like your work. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a monster episode. We're like three hours. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something crazy like that. But, um, yeah, we, we love your guys' stuff. We love you know what you guys do here. So I uh, – Definitely wanted to come on and get a chance to, you know, chat with you guys. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can do something again in the future. Oh, Sounds show. good, man. Sounds good. All right, buddy. All right. Well, you uh, you take care. And um, on that note of that gargantuan show that you mentioned, uh, I'm going to do my best to prevent ours from becoming a similar three-and-a-half-hour show. I know that my girlfriend, Courtney, would no, not be very happy <laughs> with me if that happened. <laughs> Hey, Chris, uh, before we get out of here, yeah. before we plug, I, I we were discussing earlier a possible third, the the top boss for the Joey Janela thing. What yes, do you yes. think about Masato Tanaka? Ooh. Ooh. I've got a little, <laughs> a little bit of a... Up your spine, right? Yeah, tingly, cheeky feeling from that one. Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm thinking. Well, being as, as much of a uh, big no time... chair shots in the fucking dome? Oh yeah, big time old school ECW fan right here. So fuck, jeez, that would be Sounds amazing. Good. Yeah, All right, if, go if plug we away, sir. If we can't get Onita, I'll be perfectly happy with Masato Tanaka. That's where I'm All putting right. my money. Yeah. So plug time, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Again, we are always very proud and happy to be part of the Social Suplex uh, Podcast Network. Uh, other great shows that you can see on that front. We've got One Nation Radio. We've got the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. We've got the Outsiders Edge Wrestling Show. And the Mecca, Keeping It Strong Style, hosted by Other Jeremy and our young boy, Josh Smith. Uh, big shout out to all those dudes and uh, uh, props to uh, Social Suplex as a whole. Um, I always like uh, to, to see all of the stuff that we come up, the interesting chats that come up in the, the Facebook group that we've got. Um, and you can find out about all that stuff at the hub of um, socialsuplex.com. Uh, you can find my stuff at the, the Twitter at Chris Things. I don't necessarily post a whole bunch on there. More so on the Instagram. If you chase me on there, Chris Things on the Instagram. Uh, where are you at, Mr. James Vanderbeek? I am at James Vanderbeek, J A I M S Vanderbeek for copyright infringement purposes. Um, that is also on the Instagram. So if you want to check out my funnies, 
You can follow me on either platform. And if you are a professional wrestler or even a regular human being, uh, an average blow, some might call him Mark. Uh, if you need a shirt design, hit me up at James Vanderbeek as well, and I'll be more than happy to help you out. Do it. Do it. Do it right now for all sorts of uh, things that are not relevant to wrestling at all. Just get shirt designs through this man. They're awesome. Okay. That's good work. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Wonderful. Well, before we get out of here, uh, I've adopted a little slogan that I stole from a television show to excuse us from the program. And mm-hmm. it is get swifty, ladies and gentlemen. Get swifty. Thanks and good evening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.